Welcome to Everyday Oral Surgery, Surgeon's Talking Shop. This is your host, Dr. Grant Stuckey. In this podcast, you will be hearing surgeons discussing ways to improve the everyday practice of oral surgery. The ultimate goal of this podcast is to evaluate every aspect that a surgeon could improve in order to create a better experience for patients, staff, and the surgeon himself or herself. The vast majority of the information shared in this podcast will be based on personal experience and opinions. The techniques and methods discussed are only meant to provoke thought and should be supplemented with personal research into the clinically reviewed and approved studies prior to making changes to one's way of practice. Without further ado, please enjoy this episode of Everyday Oral Surgery. Hello, our oral surgery friends. This is Dr. Grant Stuckey, your host of Everyday Oral Surgery. We are interviewing today uh, Dr. Scott Weisskopf. He is a oral and maxillofacial surgeon practicing in the great state of Tennessee in the Memphis area. Is that correct, Scott? Yep, that's right. Excellent. Um, and our first question for you is, you know, what in the past couple of years is something that you have discovered or changed to improve your everyday practice of oral surgery? All right. Yeah. So first, thanks for having me on, Grant, if for no other reason than to get me away from the kids for a little bit. Yes. <laughs> uh, but really for the for the past, I'd say about a few years ago, I really started switching over to a, a fully digital workflow for implant cases uh, all the way through 3D printing my own surgical guides. And, you know, I've always gotten CTs on patients. I've always really shortly after residency, when I first started out, I've always done virtual planning and in, in, in software, but only recently I've really started 3D printing guides for almost every implant case that I have. Uh, it used to be that, you know, I'd, I'd have full mouth cases that I, I would print a guide for, or difficult cases where, where I've, I've got uh, little wiggle room for error, but now I've, I've really gone to printing guides for just about everyone and it's it's so great uh, i i would never go back to uh, to not having guides i mean yes i can place implants you know even on those slam dunks slam dunk cases you know anybody can do that but having surgical guides it's it's just you know it's accuracy speed i'm taking less x-rays you know to verify position and then re-verify it when i when i make some angulation changes and and i say this almost half joking but you know it's 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 so much better for my psychological health too because i'm kind of the the kind of surgeon that will if my implant doesn't look perfect on that on that final pa that's the last thing i'm thinking about before i go to bed that night uh, and um you know i just obsess over over little tiny things that don't matter you know everything's restorable everything's uh, you know good but you know i really want perfect and so that's kind of that's really been a, a game changer for me and and it's so easy uh, especially having the 3d printer in my office barrier to doing this is, is really not that not that much and so it's it's really improved things a lot for me that's tremendous. And walk us through what it looks like. You know, a patient shows up. Is this, you know, multiple appointments? You all do it in one appointment and tell us how it goes. Yeah. So for uh, implant consultation, I'll get a, a CT scan. Uh, we have a, a digital intraoral scanner that, that will scan the patient as well. It, you know, if it's a, if it's a case where 
you know, patient is is missing the tooth already, missing the teeth already. That's that's pretty much what everyone gets. The CT scan, the intraoral scan. I will go uh, right then and there to my office, import those two scans, merge them, do a, a virtual surgical planning on the implant software that I use, which is we used DTX Studio. It used to be Nobel Clinician, but th- there's quite a few of them out there, and I will. Uh, see right then and there what things look like, if there's enough bone, if we need to graft at the time of placement, if we need to graft first and then come back. And if everything looks good, I'll show that plan to the patient. They see the the virtual mock-up of, of the tooth that they're missing. They see the implant placement. They can see right there, you know, in, in a three-dimensional picture what the bone looks like and and why I'm telling them, yes, we're going to need to graft, why we don't need to graft, why we have to add a little bit at the same time of placement. And then, you know, that takes me about five minutes to do. It's it's really quick once you get the hang of it. And then before surgery, uh, I'll take that STL file, the guide, send it to my printer and print the guide. It takes takes me maybe about an hour to an hour and a half to to actually print uh, the guides. And yeah, I've got it for the for the surgery, and it, it works really well. That's tremendous. So when you're printing it, are these people hanging out for an hour or coming back? Well, typically we won't do it the same day. You know, we'll 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 see a lot of these patients for consultation, talk to them about it, give them the treatment plan, schedule them for the implant placement, and then you know bring them back another day. So I'll typically start printing it before I leave at the end of the day and then next morning I'll come in, pop it off the printer, clean it up and cure it. It takes a little bit of time at first, but it's uh you know the cost savings of of actually printing it yourself if you're doing a number of these is is you know tremendous over sending it off and and getting it printed by by a big lab. You know cuz you're talking about maybe a dollar or less in resin. You know, the probably the most expensive part of it is the is the sleeves that you buy from the uh, implant manufacturer. But depending on what what system you're using in your rep, you can you can get those uh, for free or for with partner points. Uh, Nobel has that, and uh, Strauman just gives them to me for free. Nice. And how much did the scanner cost? So uh, that that's one of the things that I, I had trouble with initially was was choosing which printer to pick most of the ones that are you know dental related and i you know use that term in, in quotes is, is they're so overpriced they've got a lot of bells and whistles they're yes they're specifically made for for 3d printing casts and and surgical guides but they're really expensive and so what i did um, i actually had a a friend of mine who's uh, another oral surgeon that got a 3d printer off of amazon um, and i know it sounds sounds kind of funny but i did the research and and the accuracy of of the prints are equivalent they're the same yeah it doesn't have a lot of bells and whistles it doesn't have you know all the features but for i think i think it was like 250 or 300 dollars for the printer honestly and it's printing accurate guides and i'm not having any issues and then you know the trio scanner that's obviously that's expensive we had a deal with an implant manufacturer I think we got it about five or six years ago that we, um, you know, buy so many implants and they'll, they'll give it to us for free. So that's how we, that's how we entered into that world. And initially when I got the, the trio scanner, it wasn't for treatment planning or for surgical guides. It was, it was for final abutments. The the Memphis market is kind of weird that uh, I'd say about 90% of our referrals have us 
do the final abutment for them. And so we were back then before we got the, the trio scanner, we were taking PVS impressions and uh, sending it off to the lab. And um, the trio scanner was just phenomenal for, for actually uh, changing that workflow and speeding us up, making us more efficient. Nice. That's amazing. So you've had some good success. I mean, are there, does it work hundred percent of the time? Are there times you have to take the guide off and just freehand it or how does it go? I've had maybe a handful of times where where something is just not fitting right, and I can usually adjust the guide. Um, you know, I'll cut part of the guide off, and, and it seats down fine. I had one case. This is actually a, a bigger case. It was it was four or five implants in the maxilla and posterior implants, and the patient uh, had only anterior teeth to to support the guide. Printed the guide, everything was fine. Case was was well planned. And I get there for surgery, and the day before the, the surgery, the patient went to her general dentist and got brand new crowns made for the anterior teeth. So the guide obviously didn't fit because it, it was scanned on the old old crowns. But uh, you know, barring any of those kind of weird situations, just about all the time, it's it's as accurate as your 3D scan is. Very nice. And which implant system are you using? Right now, I'm use, using almost exclusively Strauman. You know, I used uh, Nobel getting out of residency because that's what I was familiar with. As you know, we, we placed uh, a lot of those in, in residency, but uh, was having some issues with bone loss around the, the crest of the implant with a lot of the, the Nobel uh, implants and wanted to give Strauman a try like the rep. And, and you know, he gave us some good deals. And, and so I tried it out and I've, I've been very happy since then. Nice. You've seen better bone growth and yeah, bone levels. I really, I really have. I do like it uh, quite a bit better. Uh, and I'm using their um, their SL Active a surface coating. It's they have they have SLA and SL Active. The SL Active is is uh, specially coated, and it's uh, just one one more thing that I can do to to help minimize problems. And you know, who knows if it actually works or if it's all in my head. But you know, it's sometimes it's all you need something in your head (laughs) that's for sure nice and what does your grafting technique look like when you are grafting so a lot of times if if i'm if i'm trying to gain a decent amount of width alveolar width and you know i don't have a a nice concavity that i can i can put bone in like if i've got prominences of the roots on either side of the, the space you know if i don't have that I will use tenting screws. I'll use either KLS or Salvin tenting screws, and I've had some pretty good success with that. It's it's a little hit or miss. Uh, every now and then, I'll, I'll get a case back where I take the CT scan and and I've got nothing underneath that screw. You know, sometimes everything is right up to the to the screw head, and it's it's a it's a great success. Just recently, I've kind of switched my membranes. Um, I used to use a lot of pericardial membranes, but uh, I've made the switch to uh, BioExclude. It's uh, an amdion chorion placental membrane, and I've been having some really good success with that, so I'm, I'm really liking it. Very nice. And what type of graft material? So we use Nobel, either Nobel or, or Strauman, depending on when we get our, our shipments in. They're um, a Creos or uh, just Allograft. If I'm grafting around implants, then I'll, I'll use a mixture of a xenograft and allograft uh, just to have it stick around a little bit longer. Uh, sinus lifts, I'll do a mixture of xenograft and uh, DBM putty and just kind of squirt it in the, the sinus with a TB syringe. I'll cut the end off and pack it in that syringe and just squirt it right in there. 
Very nice. Are you doing any type of platelet therapy? I'm not. And that's that's kind of the one thing that, that's probably going to be our next purchase. And I really don't know why we haven't done that yet because I've, I've, I've seen a lot of people do it. I know a lot of surgeons out there have great success with it. You know, you can charge the patient for it. And, and so you can kind of recoup their, your initial uh, investment on it. But um, I, I haven't. Um, is that something that you, you've done a lot of? Yeah, just in the last, let's say, two years, I've been pretty much doing it with every single bone graft. You know, and occasionally I'll put the, the PRF clots in some more complicated third molar extraction sites. And, you know, I don't know. I mean, it, it seems like there's improved outcomes, I guess, less pain. Uh, things look a little better, you know, when you see them at, at two weeks and stuff like that. But it's just, yeah, it seemed like there was enough kind of literature and feedback from colleagues that they were having good success that I started doing it. And it's been pretty simple and and cheap to do. I, I love your implant technique. That sounds just so awesome. It sounds like you're able to control so many variables that you can't when you're freehanding everything. Yeah. And I mean, you know, even there are a lot of cases where absolutely I can, I can, you know, I'll, I'd be able to place the implants very well freehand. That's, you know, that's what I've always done in the past. And, and you know, there's, there's a saying it's better, better to be accurate than fast, but you know, I, I, I'd almost say it's better to be accurate and fast. And, and that's kind of what, what the guides give me. It gives me a little bit more peace of mind. You know, I know the positioning, the implant's going to be, going to be dead on and I don't have to think about it. You know, it's a, the surgery is less stressful and goes quicker. You know that's that's kind of the the big thing that um, our, our our program director at UIC, uh, Dr. Malaro. You know you can say a lot of things about him. One of them is that he is a fast surgeon. You know, and that's kind of one of the big things I took away from him, surgical efficiency. The quicker I can get done with a case, the less pain the patient's going to be in, the less swelling, the less less risk of anesthesia complications. The shorter the the surgery is going to be. And so I I try to get in and out there as quick as I can. Very nice. And are you able to use this technique with immediate implants? So, not really. Occasionally, what I'll do is, if it's a local anesthesia case, I will take the tooth out, I'll walk them to the CT scanner, take a CT scan, evaluate my bone, do the surgical planning. Yes, if I had a printer that was a little bit faster... I could potentially just print a guide right then and there and, and have it uh, have it done, but you know because my printer takes an hour and a half, which is which is the downside. You know it's it's inexpensive because it's a little bit slower than some of those other ones. But yeah, if the printer was a little bit faster, you could absolutely use that technique for for immediates. But you know you need a you need a CT, you need a, a digital scan, and then you need about five minutes to plan the case. Got it. And so basically you're just grafting, have them come back in what, two or three months and then you do the case? Yeah. I mean, if it's something where I could place the implant right then and there, I'm still going to go ahead and do it freehand as an immediate. You know, I had one of those just yesterday that, you know, I, I, I always tell patients for immediate, it, it really just kind of depends on how things play out during surgery, how the tooth comes out. And, you know, this looked pretty good. So I went ahead and, and, and placed it freehand. And that's kind of one of the, the few scenarios where I'm still doing freehand just because it, it doesn't, doesn't really work that well in, in my workflow uh, just yet. Okay. That's good to know. And then so just to go back to the scanner cost, you're saying 250 300 on Amazon. If you were to buy the official thing from one of the implant companies, what's the cost difference there? So the 3D printer, you're probably looking at like $5,000 or so for the 
for the printer. And then they, they're, they're going to want to sell you their, their curing station and their wash station, you know, which is going to be extra. The, honestly, what I, what I have for, for my curing station is a, is a cardboard box lined with aluminum foil. And then I bought a, a UV light uh, also off of Amazon, same, same uh, wavelength as the, as the curing uh, wavelength for the resin. And I just pop it in there, close the box and, and let it go. And, you know, it's, it's basically a poor man's version of what they're going to sell you for, you know, a thousand dollars. All it is is UV lights and, you know, theirs has a little stand on the bottom that rotates. Also on Amazon, I bought a, a little rotating, it's like a display that you would find in like a jewelry case. Uh, it's it's uh, solar powered, so the UV light powers it and it just spins it around. <laughs> it works oh, perfect. Cool. I mean, it looks it looks a little janky, but, you know, I've got it in my back lab, so patients aren't seeing it. I've got the, the 3D printers out, so they, they see those and they're, you know, as I'm doing a follow-up or a... a post-op they, they see it printing something and they ask about it and, and so it's, it's kind of a you know practice builder knowing that uh, having the patients know that you're you're doing the latest technology yeah that's so great to be able to offer that to patients and is it easier or harder to do this with a single tooth versus multiple implants i should say you know, it really depends on on the software that you're using. So I mentioned that we use GTX Studio. It just because that's the software that we have. Uh, Nobel gave it to us for free uh, several years back. It has some limitations. You can't make bone supported guides on it. It's all it's all tooth supported guides for for this software. You know, I do have some other software that that you can use if you want to create other other types of guides and it's really so you know the limitation is based on your planning software what the stl file that you can generate for your guide is uh, because that's that's basically what the 3d printer will use it'll print whatever you give it and so the it's your it's your implant planning software that will fabricate the guide for you and so it, it prints what what you fabricate got it okay that's awesome good to know well that's tremendous I've always looked to you, give me some great advice, and you delivered here. I was going to also ask you if there's anything in your third molar extraction technique that has changed or that you've you know, been able to improve on. You know, one thing that I've changed, and I, honestly, I can't tell you why I, I, I did this so much in, in residency, but in residency, I used to not suture maxillary third molar extraction sites. You know, I, I guess the cheek kind of holds the tissue down there, but I find that, that patients are a lot more comfortable if I put a single uh, suture in, the, in those uh, upper extraction sites, uh, the full, full bony impacted upper wisdom teeth. So that's, that's one thing that's changed, but everything else, you know, it's, uh, it's, you know, it's wisdom teeth. It's like clockwork. It's just, I just flow right through it. Tell me this: Do you do you use the BNR or or, or using a hull drill or what are you using? Yeah, so the the practice that I went into, it was all uh, hull drills, and and that's what we still use. You know, I trained on it. I had those in dental school, had those in residency. I'm comfortable with it. It works. Potentially, I see us down the line as as things break. You know, replacing them with a, with an electric, but it, it seems to it seems to give me what I need. And my other question is in regards to the instruments and the way that you move through the case, are you picking up the instruments from the tray? Is your assistant handing them? How does that look? So for probably the last 
up until about the last few months, I've always picked up the instruments myself because I find that I can get them quicker than I could think of the name of the instrument, ask my assistant to get it for me, and then pass me that instrument. And, you know, I've had I've had issues with some of my assistants not really getting my routine because they're, you know, I, I go really fast during third molar surgery and, and it's it can be it can be tough for, for an assistant to kind of keep up and, and know where I'm at and know what, what's gonna be next. But there's 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 a method to my madness. And so over the last three months or so, my assistants are kind of getting a little bit better about knowing where I'm at, knowing what I what I'm going to use next, having it ready for me, and kind of passing it, which which is speeding things up a little bit. You know, I'm I'm still pretty, even if I'm grabbing my own instruments, um, the tray is in front of the patient in, in my setup, and you know, it's it's still pretty quick. So I'm I'm back and forth uh, in and out of the mouth, almost as quick as it would be if so if an uh, assistant was passing it to me okay yes that does make a difference for sure if you've got the tray in front of the patient and the the instruments right there okay and so and the assistants irrigating right because with the hall drill they're not self-irrigating or are they yeah no the the assistants irrigating for me okay and then your bite block goes in doing your local doing your incisions taking them out suture one whole side and then you switch over or how do you do it i'll do uh, tooth by tooth i'll start on the upper right uh, move down to the uh to the lower right upper left lower left and i just go ahead and and, and suture the tooth as soon as i'm done with it uh, i mean yeah i might i might be able to shave a second or two off if i if i suture everything on one side all at once it just i've never never really gone that route i don't know exactly you know, I'm I'm pretty quick when it comes to to getting it done. So that extra second that it takes me to grab the the needle driver needle holder, uh, I'm not too concerned about it. Okay. And then as far as assistance go, you've got one on the opposite side suctioning. Do you have a chinner? Do you not? I know that's what we did in residency, but. Yeah, so we we've got a second assistant always in the room. That as soon as I pick up the handpiece, she'll hand me the handpiece, and immediately will hold the chin from in front of the patient in most scenarios, unless unless the patient's a little bit larger, doesn't have a really good neck or airway, and then they'll come around behind the patient. But usually, just one hand in front of the patient holding the chin up uh, while my while the first assistant is is irrigating and suctioning, and I'm drilling. Okay. And then real quick on your anesthetic technique, what drugs are you using? What dosages? What's the, the usual scenario? Yeah, so it's it's similar to what uh, we were doing in residency. I'm using a little bit less fentanyl these days. I'm, I'm typically on an average case, I'm using five milligrams of Versed, uh, 50 micrograms of fentanyl. I'm using 30 milligrams of ketamine and eight milligrams of Decatron for just about all the cases. And then if I need to, I'll, I'll give propofol throughout uh, the procedure. But I find that I'm in, in an average case, I'm using less than, uh, I don't know, maybe 80 milligrams of propofol. And, and a lot of cases, I don't have to use any propofol. I keep my patients a little bit lighter than, than a lot of other surgeons do. You know, that's, that's kind of how I like it. Yeah. And are you doing all this right up front at the very beginning, the five milligrams, the 30 ketamine, 50 mics, or? Uh, so I'll do it. Up? I'll do it all at the beginning, but I, I do split it up a little bit. And I have a, I have a little routine only to 
slow me down and giving the medications, I'll give two and a half of a Versed to a Decadron, 25 of fentanyl, another one and a half of Versed to a Decadron, the other 25 of fentanyl, another two a Decadron, the last one of Versed. I just, I just kind of go back and forth between all of them just so that it spaces it out for me. So I'm giving those medications a little bit slower instead of just slamming them with five of Versed and, and, and 50 of fentanyl right up front. You know, it's, uh, I, I certainly could, you know, wait and give them a little bit slower. I just, you know, that routine that I have of going back and forth with all the medications, it just, it forces me to give it over a couple minutes. Got it. Okay. And are you doing any type of antibiotic at all, IV or pre-op, or is it just everyone gets it afterward? Yeah, right now everyone gets it afterwards. And, and I know, you know, the, the, the research out there shows that that preoperative or, or intraoperative is, is going to have a better effect on that. I just I haven't gotten gotten into um, doing that ahead of time. Yeah, for sure. It's certainly easier to, you know, give it to them right, you know, when they're done and kind of on the way out as opposed to trying to coordinate it for them to get it ahead of time. But, well, that's awesome. It sounds like a lot of similar things that I do, and it's good to hear your technique and some of the stuff you're doing. Excellent. Any other words of wisdom you have for our listeners? Yeah, actually, so there, there's one thing that I want to say, and, and this is key with with the, your staff and dental assistants and really just life in general. It's a, it's a quote that I heard way back. It was I think it was at a, a hospital safety conference that they made. They made every surgeon on, on staff attend. But one of the, the, the quote was, what you permit, you promote. And so that quote always stuck with me that, you know, if, if you're not, if you're not saying something to correct your assistance and, and making sure they know what it is you're, you're, you want them to do, if you're letting it happen, you're promoting that. And, and so that's, that's, that always has kind of stuck with me. And I think that's a big pearl that you can, you can kind of apply to just about everything. Oh man, I love that. I can't agree enough. I have that same I haven't heard that quote. I love that, but I have the same, I guess, life philosophy and certainly, you know, career philosophy that the more communication, the better. Yeah, I mean, even still, like my assistants have all been with me for multiple years now and they know my routine, but I still have, you know, at least weekly, if not biweekly powwows where we sit down and, you know, for quick 15 minutes after work, we all kind of get together and say, you know, hey, what were some things, you know, that went wrong today? What what went well? And, you know, here's a list of some of the things that I've noticed, you know, that we can kind of improve on. It, it really is. I think if you're doing those things and kind of grooming your staff and, and really communicating well, it just makes every day run so much better and you feel better because you're not having all these you know, I guess maybe areas of potential resentment where you're like, you know, I wish this person would be doing this, but they're not. And this is annoying me. You know, I mean, how, how are people going to know what to do unless you guide them and tell them and, and show them? Yeah, definitely. So I totally agree. Well, awesome, man. I'll let you get back to your, your family. And I really appreciate you taking time to chat with us. Let's uh, make this happen again. Absolutely. Thanks. All right. I'll talk to you later. All right. See you. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Everyday Oral Surgery, Surgeon's Talking Shop. If you are practicing oral surgery or in the oral surgery field and would like to be on this podcast, please email me at grantstuckey at gmail.com 
or feel free to text me or call me at 720-775-5843. Also, if you have any topics that you would like to hear discussed or any feedback on certain episodes that have already aired, I would love for you to call or email me. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you in the next episode.